Hola and welcome. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to have your company. Some big news this week, the podcast has been added to Spotify. So we're going ahead in leaps and bounds and it's all due to your support. I'm most grateful, so thank you. If you're new to the podcast, this is a weekly discussion about the many pilgrimages that make up the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James, paths across Europe to the Gothic Cathedral in Santiago de Compostela in the northwest of Spain. I received a book in the post this week from an Australian author, and I know there are books everywhere and everyone is inspired to write about their Camino, but this book was somehow different. It's called Walking Back Home, Finding Clarity on the Camino by Margaret Caffin. Margaret was no walker, no fitness guru, and I think Margaret would agree she wasn't particularly inspired. But she kindly offered to send me her book and I opened it and on my lounge I sat there, opened the title page, there was a message written in hand. To Dan, Buen Camino, my friend, here is to many more wonderful adventures, Maggie. I had read the book by lunchtime the following day, and so should you. Margaret Caffin, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's a nice introduction. <laughs> I won't Look, I won't begin with your words, but someone who wrote for you a testimonial at the very start of the book, Chrissy, who's described as an armchair traveller. She oh. says, you're just like me, an ordinary everyday woman, yet you showed me that life doesn't have to be mundane, and I felt that if you could do it, anyone could. So what, are, oh. you, are you pinching yourself that all of this is you? You did all of this? <laughs> all the time. I'm always pinching myself. I pinched myself all the way along the Camino as well. And and where did you first hear about Let's go right back to the start. Where did you first hear about the Camino de Santiago? Oh. Do you remember? Yeah. A um, long, long time ago, I read a book. I think it was Shirley MacLaine's book when it first came out. And I really thought, this is something I want to do. Um, obviously, I was a lot younger then, um, but I, I, you know, life was too busy right then, and I just couldn't. So I just put the book away and shelved it. And then I was cleaning out some cupboards, and I found the book again and sat down, and started to read it, and thought, yeah, maybe I'll do that now. And that's how it started. I just, uh, I have this pattern in life where I tend to jump into things and then swim. <laughs> I don't really think about consequences afterwards. I tend to just jump into something and then deal with it. And, and That's what I did. Yeah, well, you, you really did because you said in, in the book, I realised the busy years of motherhood and its accompanying domest, uh, domesticity, along with the responsibility of being the rock to everyone, had taken mm -hmm. its toll. You say, yeah. I'd lost myself by being everyone's someone and had slowly neglected to look after myself. Where had I gone? And mm. why was I feeling invisible? So that was really a motivation for you too, wasn't it, Margaret? That was the backbone of why I did it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've had a lot of death around me in my life and I've had to deal with a lot of grief and be the strong person. So, uh, I, you know, you get swallowed by that sort of thing, you know, trying to be strong all the time. It's difficult. It's exhausting. And it does you know, take your energy. And I, I I just sort of thought to myself that it was time to slow down and assess things. You, you, you quote the spirit channeler, Lauren Bleeden Maffei, and she says, I found my heart upon a mountain. I didn't know I could climb. And I wonder how many other pieces of myself are secreted away in places oh. I judge I cannot go. 
Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that fantastic? But, mm-hmm. but in applying that to you then, um, and I want to talk, you, you talk about sorrow in your life, and I want to get to that down the track, but how then did you motivate yourself to do this great, brave thing? Let's face <laughs> it, you're about to turn 60. You know, yeah. you're way out of your comfort zone here. What, yeah. How did you draw up that motivation? Well, I didn't really think about uh, what I was going to say. Um, I, I'm a really super highly organized person and I like to know details and facts of things. So yeah. I read heaps of books, I watched movies, I watched YouTube, I just learned everything I could about the Camino. And then I, I started to think, yeah, I'm really going to do this. Yeah. And then I started buying all the stuff I needed just gradually over a year or so, um, six months to a year, I bought all the things I needed. And I was organising everything and went to a travel agent and organised all of that part of it. And I tried to walk, but I was working in a really high-pressure job with very long hours. And I drove an hour to work, an hour home. I was sitting down all day, had done for the last 20 years in this job. And... I was time poor for tra- um, training. So I did the best I could. I joined a, a gym and did some core work. Um, and I walked. My dog enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't I didn't train as I could have. Um, but you soon get fit on the Camino. It doesn't take long. Yeah, yeah. The first day to render. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you write about that beautifully in the book and the communal dinner that night. It it, it it kind of reinvigorated you, didn't it? Sure did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I grew up half on a farm and half in the city, so I, I just love the country air. So whenever I get out to another country, I love France, and whenever I go there, I just head for the hills. I go for the country towns. I don't, you know, I've been to Paris, but once is enough. I head for the country towns. I like the fresh air and the, the people in the country. Yeah. Different. yeah, it is. It is that great space, uh, that freedom, oh. that freedom. And we'll get to that in a, in a minute. Now, you didn't really know where to start, and we'll come to the second part of your book later. It's a guide to help pilgrims yeah. prepare, and it's it's a lot of what you do now. But mm-hmm. I wanted to go a little bit deeper, if I may, Maggie. Your husband died from motor neuron disease, but yeah. and forgive me, but yeah. that's a a degenerative disease. He would have been dying for some time. So you're yeah. clearly then someone prepared to do, as we say in Australia, the hard yards. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we were actually separated at the time, but still stayed best friends. So I still saw him every day and, you know, helped look after him and whatever. Um, his father also died from the same strain of it. Really? So he knew what he was in for. Mm. Um, he knew he had it a year before it was diagnosed because he'd seen his father with it. And the doctors kept saying, no, you haven't, no, you haven't being paranoid <laughs> mm. and um, yeah he knew that he had it so he had the really nasty one that starts first with your speech and your throat so it's a, it's a really awful degenerative thing that after diagnosis I think it usually lasts maybe maybe two years if you're lucky it just slowly just eats away all your nerves but your brain stays alert it's awful. And, and so you're involved now, aren't you, with raising awareness and, and raising funds for research? Um, yeah, a little bit. I have done my book, 
I have used the book for that. Um, walking on the Camino, I don't know what time of year you went, but um, I was in springtime. There were cornflowers everywhere, and that's the symbol of motor neuron disease. And um, I, I just felt that he was with me the whole time. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, it's a nice thing to do if I can raise some money. So a dollar from each book goes towards the Motor Neuron Society. Um, and I also use my book launch for fundraising for them as well. Oh, how lovely. Mm. And I love the, the idea of the flowers along the way reminding you that he was with you all the way. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yet despite all of that, Maggie, you say your day job you worked with cancer patients and you admired yeah. the strength in women, women battling cancer. You didn't want to wait until it was too late to get the wake-up call. Mm. We don't know what's ahead of us, do we? Well, you never know what's around the corner and that's what scared me. Um I've lost a lot of my friends, you know, in about the 40s and 50s. It seems to be the age that um, reproductive organ cancer seems to hit. I don't know why. Um, I worked for a gynecology oncologist. So um, it was all women coming through our door. But, yeah, I used to see them come in looking so frightened every time. It was just awful. And often after they had been through their treatment and survived it and were feeling good again. They would take off and do these amazing things. And I thought to myself, you know, how sad that is, that it takes a life event like that to wake you up and make you reassess things and look at your life and make the most of it. It's so easy to get tangled up in day-to-day life and just exist. Yeah, and that, and you write about that really lovely, in a really lovely way. You say one of the reasons for walking the Camino, was to remove yourself from the distractions of life mm-hmm. to assess the person you'd become. But wasn't that the same person you were trying to distance yourself from, in a way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, walking on the Camino, as you will know, uh, it's like being in a bubble in a different world. There's nothing else exists except your day. There's nothing to worry about or think about. You just—I I didn't even think about home much at all. It's—it's it's completely removing yourself from daily life, and it gives you such a great headspace to think about—I oh, don't know—just well, like I did. I assessed myself as I walked along. All these things came up in my mind, and I thought about them, and. Uh, the day-to-day grind is gone, and, and there's no pressure. Mm. And how did you, how, what, what sort of score did you, how did you assess yourself? What, how did you, were you happy with what you came up with? Uh, yeah, I'm very happy with who I am now and, yeah. and the person I've become. I, um, I think I'm a lot kinder and a more thoughtful person. Um, my kids say that I've changed. They say I've mellowed and I've got more time for them. Not that I didn't before. I think I've been a pretty good mum. <laughs> um, it's very difficult. Um, I, I was just in a grind, a daily grind of doing the same thing over and over and yeah. over. Yeah. Um, even though with my job, I was meeting new people every day and that was what was great about it. I loved that, the people that I met. Um, but it's so easy to get caught up in that and just live mindlessly, just like a robot just doing the same thing every day and just existing and treading water and I hate feeling like that. 
Yeah. Whenever I feel like that, I usually travel. I've travelled a lot. And, <laughs> and you you said in the book the gypsy in you was screaming yeah, to let yeah. the real you out. What does the gypsy say today? Um, the gypsy today is still gypsying. <laughs> <laughs> um, after the Camino, I, I left my job and I spent the next year travelling. I went to Bali to learn to make jewellery. Um, I lived in a silent ashram for a while. Um, I trekked up its mountains and went food foraging. I went to Hawaii, uh, did a bit of a trek around there, up in the hills to the waterfalls and things. Um, I just sort of took my time. I just took a step out of life and travelled and just calmed down. And Yeah, I've got no money, but I don't care. <laughs> That is amazing. So so let's just put a timeline on it. When did you walk the Camino that you wrote the book about? Um, the spring of 2015. Okay, so spring 2015. So you did all of that extra travelling in the year since then? Last year, yeah. Wow. Oh, I also did another Camino last year. I walked the Via de la Plata. Is there another book in you? <laughs> yes, it's Dying to get it out. I'll bet. I'll it's bet. It's very different. Um, the the Frances Camino, I uh, did a lot of soul searching and it was a really deep and meaningful Camino. Um, fabulous one for your first, I think. The Via de la Plata was very different because I'm a very different person now. Um, I wasn't expecting anything. I think I'd done all my inner work. And I had no expectations. I didn't really research this one. I went with a girl that I met on the Camino Frances. She's English. Um, she lives in France. And she said, on, I was with her for only 10 days on the Frances Camino. That's how amazing these friendships are when you meet. Yeah. Um, we walked for 10 days. And she kept, we kept stayed in touch. And she kept saying to me, I want to do the Via de la Plata. Come with me. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'll, I'll go. And off I went. I had all the gear. I didn't have to do any research, really. Um, so, yeah, and we, luckily we got on very well. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long did it take you to walk that Camino? Six and a half weeks. Really? It's a long one. <laughs> and how did it compare in terms of difficulty with Camino Francis? Um, I was really surprised. All the photos you see are of the flat plains. And, yeah, the first few days are really awful. It was over 40 degrees, and it was like crossing the Nullarbor. There was no trees in sight. It was awful. So, so hot. Um, and, yeah, I was questioning, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but I don't know. Just something in you makes you persevere with these things. You know, like on the Camino Frances, when you're climbing mountains, you think, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. But you get there, and it's... The achievement, the feeling of achievement when you get to the top, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, had the same thing, but I found the Via del Plata quite mountainous, and I was really surprised at that. There were a lot of Ocebrero mountains. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, well, that's putting it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, lots of those. I the Ocebrero a few times on the Via del Plata. And what, um, a, what I was surprised at that. What about accommodation? Is it as plentiful as it is on the Camino Frances? I felt like I was doing a real... Camino. It was very primitive actually. Really? Um, the northern part, when you get to Galicia, there's some beautiful modern albergues there. Um, you have, there's 
no coffee shops in between, virtually none. Uh, Zero, you you look on your map and you see there's a village coming up and you get all excited, but there's nothing there, just houses. So there were long stretches between a few of the places. Um, a lot of, you walk through a lot of farms. You know, I was chased by pigs and all sorts of things. <laughs> uh, um, it's quite primitive. You know, it's really rugged. Um, How wonderful. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. But, you know, the whole time, this was um, October, September, October. So it was their autumn. And uh, there was a lot of lot of animals to see. And oh, we walked through an area that was apparently the highest population of wolves in Europe. And that was kind of creepy because we was just the two of us. Um, and we did come across a couple of wolves and we backed away. They were staring at us and we were looking at them. Really? We got our, our sticks out ready. But, yeah, it was really quite creepy. You could feel their eyes watching you. It was really, probably just my imagination, but, you know, it was really um, a bit eerie. And the whole walk in the six and a half weeks, we probably met maybe 20 pilgrims. Really? So it was very isolated, and yeah. I'm so glad. I would never have done that one on my own. Yeah, well, that's right. And you write in the book that you were afraid of judgment. Oh, yeah. And people thought you were mad doing the Camino, yeah. the first one. Indeed, on the walk <laughs> itself, there were times when you were haunted by a self-doubt. But judging from what you've said just in this last couple of minutes, I, I think the whole experience has, has it freed you up in terms of self-doubt? Uh, yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I'm I'm very much more confident now. Yeah. Um, oh, I, d I just wish everyone, if everyone in the world could do the Camino, the world would be a much nicer place. Don't you think? <laughs> yes. Well, look, I, I do believe that because of two reasons. The, the first is the luxury of being able to only have one thing to do, mm -hmm. and that is to walk. I, I think yes. that that is such... I, I've told many people many times it's a very selfish thing to do in many respects because you, oh, are, I you, had that too. you are simply saying to yourself, I'm logging off here yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to go and walk. That's the first... Yeah, uh, I, had, I had a few people say to me, well, what about me? What's going to happen while you're gone? And what did you say to them? Um, I just politely sort of worded it in a way that, you know, it's my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my wife calls it my midlife crisis, and she's probably right. It, yeah. but, but the second reason I think that everybody should do it is that being part now of a community of people who have walked it, and there are many hundreds of thousands every year who do it. Yeah you do experience that extraordinary energy. And mm. and that's what I want to get to now, Maggie. And you write yeah. about this beautifully in your book. You talk about thin spaces. Isn't that awesome? Now, I, I've got your explanation here from your book, but why don't you explain to my listeners what you mean by thin spaces? Mm. How far into it do you want me to go? <laughs> Well, Do I just a spoiler and say what it really is? Um, thin Places is a Celtic thing, um, and the Camino has very Celtic roots. And I felt it in a huge way when I was walking the Meseta, 
which I really love. Um, you walk for days on end with nothing. And I found one tree with a chair underneath it. And I sat on that chair and I had this experience, an ethereal experience. And that's what I've written about in my book at the end there. Um, When I got home, I started to tell people about what had happened to me and they were all looking at me as if I'd gone crazy. They just could not comprehend what I was talking about. And so I stopped talking about it and I looked it up on the internet. I got on the internet and started looking at all these things up and I found it really is a thing in spaces. And it's where the veil between the eternal world and this world is so thin that you can tip over into it. And that's what happened to me. Um, Well, let's let's leave it there because... My listeners can find out more about it yeah. in your book, and it's so beautifully written. I read that that part twice, and I thought, "Oh gosh, that is mag. That's that's magic." Oh, thank you. And and let, let's take it a step further. Then, um, were you a spiritual person before you went? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not religious at all. Um, I've always been slightly different to everybody else. I've always meditated since I was tiny and didn't even know what I was doing. Um, I hang out a lot at an ashram down here where I live. Um, Yeah, I'm very spiritual. And you you use the Camino. I love the way you put this in the book. You said it was a moving meditation. Yeah. That's so true. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll always quote you, but it is very much so, isn't it? And I've said many times in this podcast, this the, 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 placing of one foot in front of the other is very trance-like. Oh, very, especially on the Mazetta. I, I can't believe that you have any sort of transitional experience if you don't walk the Mazetta. I mean, maybe you do. I, I, I don't know, but I suppose that I'm saying that because that's where it happened for me, but surely it happens to everybody. I think a lot of people just don't realise what, what's going on. And the other thing is, I really, um, well, I'm a bit of a loner anyway. I love my own space and my own time. But I think I saw a lot of marriages on rocky rocky ground walking along the Camino and friendships breaking up. And um, I think it's better to walk on your own if you want to get something from the Camino. Um I walked a lot on my own, but, you know, night time is, is party time, and <laughs> I had a great time while I was on the Camino. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I really loved the space, the space around me, the head space, the everything space. It was fabulous. And I think walking on your own gives you that, and it's, it's wonderful. You say very few of us know our inner soul's lust for escape. Mm. That's so true. Uh, mm. And perhaps, Margaret, if we do, we tend to kind of ignore it or choose to ignore it. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people are not self-aware. They just don't realise that that's what's happening. They smother it and and do the right thing and live these sort of, I don't know, not boring lives and no one's life is boring, but... um, People just get lost in their day-to-day life and don't think about what they're doing or what they're missing 
it's interesting, and this is an Australian um, term, but without over-egging the pudding, it's not for everyone, though, the Camino, is it? Definitely not. Some people are more happy more than happy with their lot in life and the thought of walking 500 miles and sleeping in a room with 80 other people is ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't it? I love the challenge of those things. I love to be challenged. Where, yeah, a lot of people don't. Um, some people are more evolved than others. Yeah. One thing I read in the book and I marked it with my trusty highlighter was the line, one habit I never lost was to keep looking back to see how far I'd come. Mm. Now, that's a great philosophy for the Camino, but also for the wider, I, for, for ge- generally day-to-day life. Yeah, I do that in life as well, always. I analyse things a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think differently to most people. I've realised that too now. And yet, and yet, it, it's now become such a big part of your life and, and you're, you're somebody who coaches people who, who are considering going on the Camino, and indeed you do corporate talks about it. Yeah, I've done a lot of talks. Um, I think people are curious about it. People that know me, it started off that way where I didn't, you know, when you come home, you want to tell everyone about this fabulous experience, but they cannot understand. And it's Like I say in my book, it's like childbirth. Unless you've done it, you just can't comprehend what it is like. They just imagine you walking all day long and why would you do that? <laughs> and why would you stay in the old burgays in bunk beds and things at your age? Cause you don't need that. But um, I, I don't know. It, I find it quite frustrating that people aren't, more people aren't open to new experiences. And to me, the whole challenge of doing the Camino was just so exciting. Yeah. I just threw myself in and thought this is going to be fun. Yeah, because <laughs> because you allowed yourself, didn't you? The the chance yeah. you, you listened to the inner gypsy. Yeah. And when you listened to the inner gypsy, you thought, oh, well, I like I like what the inner gypsy's saying. I'm just going to let that inner gypsy take me wherever yeah. I, where, wherever the gypsy wants. And here you are, ending up in ashrams and in Hawaii and and <laughs> and all over the world. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's been different for me. My life has totally changed. Yeah. The book takes the reader on a Camino of the mind. I have written here a chance to reflect. And if you've walked yourself, or maybe imagine if you're planning on walking. But Maggie, you say when you climbed onto the bus to leave Finisterre at the end, you were very upset. Yeah. So how did you go adapting to life after the Camino when you came home? That's a big one. Um... Nobody tells you about the down that you hit afterwards. Um, I'm so glad I didn't come straight home. I went off to France and went to a little medieval village in in the east side of France over near the Alps. Um, And I went to a little town at the bottom of the Alps and then I went up through Switzerland and came home. So I had an extra 10 days or something um, to unwind and get back into life so to speak, uh, and I had three months off work, so that took about two months of my three months, so I had a month at home readjusting. Then I went back to work, and I just couldn't sit back in, and I I just didn't have the energy anymore. I didn't want to waste my energy on on working and, you know, being gone from the home 
14, 15 hours a day. Um, I just wanted to enjoy what's left of my life, I suppose. Yeah. I just couldn't fit back into work. I couldn't cope with the pressure of it and everyone around me was starting to annoy me and I just thought, why am I doing this to myself? Um, so, yeah, I left and went travelling. <laughs> and now you, you work pretty much for yourself, don't you? Oh, yeah. I'm a massage therapist. Yeah. Um, I do that from home. So I, I, I was doing that evenings and weekends, so now I just make it my income and I'm not too busy. I don't want to get really busy again. I just have enough to put food on the table, pay the bills, and I'm happy. Is there a little bit put aside for more travels? Always. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, always. All right. Look, most of my listeners will be saying, okay, Dan, uh, we've been through this path before, through the spirituality, the juju, the walk. Now he'll wrap things up. Well, no, I'm not going to because the second half of Margaret's book is a guide (laughs) It's a guide, yeah. and Margaret, as I said, coaches people and and, and, and does uh, information nights. I've got five very, very quick questions for you, Margaret. Sure. Am I too old to walk the Camino? No. I saw, the oldest I saw was 87, I think he was. Um, I even saw a guy with a baby in his backpack. <laughs> really? I did. And there were children walking with their parents, which really surprised me, but the kids seemed to have more energy than anyone. Um, oh, that was really lovely. So, so yeah, it does. Don't think age matters as long as you're healthy enough to walk it, and you do get very healthy anyway. I lost eleven kilos. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think anyone can do it. You just do it at your own pace. And the good thing with the Frances Camino is that there's little towns everywhere. You don't have to walk very far each day. What would be then? Uh, this is a, a supplementary to the first question. <laughs> what, would yeah. be, what would be your advice then if somebody says, okay, well, I'm listening, I'm 75 years old. If Margaret thinks I'm not too old, how do they start? What's the first step? Well, buy some good shoes. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, yeah. Get, get some poles. The poles are my best friend. Um, and just start walking. And a lot of 75-year-olds are really fit. Um. But, yeah, I would say train on hills. I did not do that, and I regretted that. That's my only regret. I didn't train enough. But you soon get fit very quickly. But that first day is a bit of a shock. No one told me to expect that. I knew it was was climbing the Pyrenees, but I thought it would be gradual, and it was almost vertical. (laughs) It's interesting because a, a lot of people I met said, once I'd finished that first day, I realised I'd be okay, that nothing else could knock me If down. you can do that first day, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. All right, what's the one thing I should definitely pack? Oh, definitely pack. So mm. many things. Well, aside from the necessities, like the poles and the shoes, depends what time of year you're going. On the Via de la Plata, my umbrella was the best thing I've purchased. I, I would have died without it, I'm sure. Um, really? The you umbrella ca- was great. You carried an umbrella rather than a poncho? Yeah. Well, it was for the heat. Ah, right. Um, before I went, just the week before I went, I looked at the um, map and saw that it was really hot. Oh, you're starting in the south of France, too. 
and it was really hot, and that's where the desert part is. Yeah. Um, so I've purchased a sun reflective umbrella, and I called <laughs> the girl I walked with. She bought one as well, and hers is slightly smaller than mine. I called my Bruce because it was an Australian name. <laughs> she called hers Molly because it's an English name. And much like walking the Mercedes, walking across that desert path, we realised that if we joined them together and they had babies, they'd be called brollies. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it does to your head. <laughs> Well, first of all, naming the umbrellas, I was thinking, okay, that's something you would do on the Camino. <laughs> but then to come up with the idea of Brolly from Bruce and Molly, I love it. That's great. <laughs> How much training? Okay, I'm thinking of doing it. I'm 75. I'm now going to pick up my sun reflective Brolly. <laughs> How much training should I really do? I think you answered this before. Yeah, as much as you can is my answer. Anything is better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. And make yeah. sure you're wearing your shoes before you go. Yeah, and just be sensible. You know, realise that pain is a wake-up to, you know, maybe you should slow down. Pain's a great leveller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how much money would do you reckon it costs me each day? On average? Um, I put that in my book and I can't remember what I put. It was about 1500 to 2000 pounds. It depends on what you want to do. I had extra money because I wanted to, if, if I needed to, have a hotel stay here and there um, or catch a taxi if I had to, if I was injured or something, or to have my backpack carried. Even though it's only five euros or something to do that, it adds up if you do it all the way along. Um, entries to museums, restaurant meals occasionally instead of pilgrim stuff. Um, so yeah, I took an extra thousand, but you can do it on a shoestring of about 30 euro a day if you want. Yeah, 30 euro a day. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, what you just said there about the, the, the staying in a hotel, you stayed in the Parador, didn't you, one night? I stayed in three Paradors. <laughs> Fancy. I wanted to have a great time. Yeah. Are they as good as they, everybody says? Oh yeah. The one in Leon is amazing. That's the one that's in the movie, the way. Um, that was beautiful. Um, the one in Santiago, it was okay, but I'd rather stay in the old monastery one in Santiago. That was amazing. That was yeah. terrific. Did you stay there? No, I didn't. No, I stayed in a little in a little uh, pension down, just oh. a lane down by the cathedral, which was beautiful. Oh, next time you have to go and stay in the other one. In the monastery? Yeah. Okay. Opposite the cathedral. It's incredible. Okay, all right, that's in my wish list. <laughs> so my fifth question, how hard is it really going to be? Um, as hard as you make it. Um, you have to go with a very open mind. I think that just lightens you load, um, physically and metaphorically. You know, you just take what you need and don't take things just in case. Um, yeah, it's... It's not that hard. Like, it is tough. You know, at the time, and at the end, I thought, oh, okay, that's done and dusted. But as you know, you get called back over and over. <laughs> you want to live back in that space again and, and feel that freedom and euphoria. So it's, it's tough at times. 
depends on the weather more than anything else. That makes it very tough at times. Um, but, yeah, it's worth it. It's just so enjoyable. And the friends and the people you meet. And the whole experience is amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It's a life-changing experience, mm. not only while you're doing it, but certainly in the months and 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 years uh, that follow. Yes. And that's there's an old saying to fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. Fail. And the Camino is only too hard if you prepare yourself to fail, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I think it's good to know a little about what you're facing. And to do a little bit of homework so that you know you've got the right footwear, that's the most important thing of all. Because if you have to drop out because of injury, it's so disappointing. I saw people really upset leaving because they'd been injured. You know, take your time, don't walk too fast. Treat your blisters promptly. Don't walk with your blisters. A lot of male ego hits there. You know, they push through the pain. Um... I say in my book, you know, when I got to lay on, um, it was like a war zone. Yeah. So many people were bandaged because they'd just not listened to their body. Yeah, hmm. there's, there's a great message there. Look, we, we've run out of time, Margaret. You've been so generous with your time and, and with your scholarship, and congratulations on the book. It's been fantastic to chat with Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, my, my reason for writing the book was really to... Um, help people that want to know what, what's ahead and what the accommodation's like and tips here and there. And um, I put in some photos so people could see what it's like. Um, and the name of the book, Walking Back Home, is mainly because I felt like I had already been there before in a past life and also because I was walking back home to who I used to be. I wanted to get back to who I was underneath uh, before all these layers that life had put on top of me. Yeah. Well, I my, that's really funny you should have just said what you just said because the next paragraph that I have written here is, you leapt outside your comfort zone and now you look back in wonder who that person is staring back at you. Mm-hmm. So congr- yeah. that's pretty good. That's, that's nice. pretty good achievement. Yeah. That must be pretty exciting. Very exciting. And I hope my book helps people. Potentially reach that themselves. Hmm. I think that's fantastic. Congratulations on the book, a pilgrim, an author, a survivor, an inspiration, if you don't mind me saying. Thank you, fellow pilgrim. Indeed. <laughs> Maggie, thank you. Buen Camino. Buen Camino to you too. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Margaret Caffin there. The book's called Walking Back Home, Finding Clarity on the Camino. There's a link in the front page of the podcast with Margaret's email address if you'd like her to speak at a function or at a a corporate event. And there's also a link there to buy the book, Walking Back Home, Finding Clarity on the Camino. I'm Dan Mullins and I'll be back again next week to speak to another pilgrim about their journey, all of our journeys on the Camino de Santiago. Until next week, Buon Camino. (laughs) 